Hey folks, welcome back to On the Mic with Mike Peters. This week's guest is a very funny dude from Rochester, Michael Cologne. He's a stand-up comedian. He is one of the producers for the Interloop blog, which is very funny, so check that out. He is not Andy Kuhn's best friend. I want to make that clear. Michael Cologne does not like Andy Kuhn. But he's a really funny guy. This is the first time we've spoken voice to voice. We talked through Facebook, and we kind of uh, we got to know each other pretty well. So I'm excited for you guys to hear it. Thanks so much for listening. Please like and share the podcast. I appreciate all the help. I'll talk to you guys next week. Take care. I'm peeling back my sunburnt skin. I'll wait outside your bedroom. I hope they let me in. Thanks for doing this. I, uh, this always feels weird when I've never worked with somebody before. Like I feel like we're on a blind date, and uh, <laughs> I, I never know how that's going to go. Yeah, this is the first time we're actually interacting. Like the first time I've heard your voice, it's just been Facebook chat. That's all. Yeah. Are you disappointed? <laughs> I'm. I have my expectations really low, so no. <laughs> it's about exactly what I expected. That is perfect. Like I think whenever I meet somebody, if their expectations are low, I'm like, sweet, I can hit that bar and not you know, totally crush your expectations. I'm set. Yeah, exactly. It's just like comedy. You just always expect to go on stage and bomb. I think that's the best way to look at comedy. <laughs> at least that's what I've been doing. <laughs> well, and you know, I don't want to offend you, but my expectations to you are very low because you came highly recommended by Andy Kuhn. And I'm like, <laughs> it's like no, like that's, that is the worst. <laughs> that is a horrible recommendation. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so like Chris D'Elia trying to set you up on a blind date. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. So, okay. I don't want to jump on the bandwagon. Like, I didn't, I didn't mean to talk about this right now. Like, I didn't intend that way. Oh, no. I never got the interest in that guy. Like, oh, I mean, yeah. No, like, I as, think he's a douche. Yeah, like, like, okay, I'm not a 17-year-old girl, so maybe I don't like him as much. But I thought he laughed at his jokes way too much. Like, yeah. it was, I couldn't get over it. No, yeah. I, I see, the thing is, I remember stumbling upon Chris Delia. The first bit I ever saw was his drunken girls bit. Like, the, you ever seen that one, the drunk girl bit? I think so, yeah. Yeah, that, I think that's the one that kind of skyrocketed him. Like, it became viral on YouTube. And I thought it was a really good bit, like, for sure. And then I watched some other stuff, and I, you know, I definitely thought he had a lot of charisma on stage. But I agree, the whole, like, how he would literally just stop and be like, <laughs> and I would be like, oh, like, that's, it's okay to chuckle once in a while but he would just like have these breaks every other minute just to laugh at his own shit well that's why like i can't ever get into jimmy fallon yeah. because like i'll watch fallon because you know he'll have mike Birbiglia on or you know some actor that i really enjoy but then he spends like half the interview laughing and clapping he you ever see a video like a youtube clip of a monkey watching a magic trick <laughs> yeah like that is what fallon is every time he meets a celebrity like i, oh, yeah. I he's so astonished and i'm like yeah i'm impressed too but like you've got a job to do like you only have seven minutes with denzel washington like don't piss them all away saying, ooh, and Denzel is here. Yeah. Like, it's ridiculous. It's just a ham. He's just hamming it up. That's all it really fucking is, honestly. It's just, and that's why I think people go to like people like Joe Rogan, who like treat celebrities like they're people and actually ask like interesting questions and make it like a good interview instead of just like, here's their movie. Let's play tic-tac-toe. You know, like that's Jimmy Fallon. It's just playing a stupid game. Well, I think that's why Stern was so big for so long. I mean, it still is, mm. but because he was actually asking probably questions that nobody else would or could ask. Oh, damn. And like, yeah. And so they kept coming back and, you know, it wasn't all like, you know, the private parts movie. Like it wasn't all a Jenis Jameson type, you know, straddling a speaker. <laughs> God, but, I love that movie so much, by the way. <laughs> I didn't, by the way, I saw that movie. How old are you? I'm 29. Okay. So I'm 37. I saw that movie before I knew who Jenna Jameson was. <laughs> and so like, like I saw it again. It, I don't know. Let, let's say I saw it in high school, maybe ninth grade. So then when I knew who Jenna Jameson was, I, you know, I, I went to private parts on IMDb and I was like, oh shit, I know her intimately. So, so <laughs> I, 
I indirectly have Howard Stern to thank for my puberty. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a gem. But I think a lot of people who do podcasts and interviewers, like I think it's hard to find someone who's a good like actual interviewer. And I'm sure for celebrities, I get sick of people just kissing their ass. Like they just go on there and it's just constant ass kissing. They're not like questioning them or challenging them or like treating them like a human. I think that's like people Jimmy or Fallon are just like it's just like popcorn. That's all it is. Is you just there's no nothing interesting happening with him, and he's just cheesy. And I think a lot of people do hate him, and a lot of people love him. But it's why he's been around for so long. Yeah, I mean, I, well, I know Lauren Michaels really likes him, but. I think if I'm a stand-up comedian, I'm not going to publicly badmouth Fallon because, hey, I want that spot. Like, I want, I want to be on the Tonight Show. Yeah, yeah. And you know, so it's like I get it. But like, if you're going, like, my parents don't watch Fallon. They'll watch Colbert and Seth Meyers. Mm. And my dad doesn't like James Corden because he's too sweet or whatever. I'm like, yeah, I don't watch his monologue. I watch all of their interviews, but I don't watch the monologues. I watch, I watch Colbert. Kimmel and Seth Meyers and Conan. I'll watch all those shows. Yeah. But I'm like, if Birbiglia is on Fallon, I'll watch the interview. But I forget who was on it. It was somebody I really liked, like Don Cheadle, maybe. Mm. And I couldn't get through the entire interview with Fallon. I was like, I, I tried. I couldn't do it. Yeah, I I get the feeling like when you see those like comedians like Fallon and like even like Ellen, I'll throw her in the mix, you know, like I feel like when I watch those people, I feel like I'm watching a comedian who's been neutered like they have the even James Corden, like they have the edginess in them. Like, I think if you're a comic by nature, we have that kind of like cutthroat attitude. But I feel like when you get put in that late night host spot you get neutered like you're not able to be as edgy like you have to appeal to a mass audience so now it's just kind of like dumbed down and i feel like when i look at them i feel like they're dying inside because i feel like they want to have that like edge and cutthroat but because you're on nbc you can't do that you know they can't say certain things do you remember watching any drew carey stand up uh, very like briefly, but I do remember seeing a couple stand up clips of him. His stand up wasn't at least that I remember it wasn't like vulgar, but you know, he's got a joke or he's got a book. It's like dirty jokes and or what is it? Yeah, dirty jokes and beer. Mm. And it's basically I think he has like 101 big dick jokes. <laughs> and then so I remember that I read that around the same time that he was announced to be the host of The Price is Right. And I just thought, how is that going to work? Like, is he going to be able to bring any, obviously not that humor, but any humor that he enjoys to The Price is Right? And I've watched a few episodes. I mean, he's no Bob Barker. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, I, I don't know. But when they're going to pay you like 10 or $20 million a year, I think that's worth a testicle or two being removed. You can't, yeah, and you can't blame him. I mean, if I got offered a job to host The Price is Right, I'd do it. I think at the end of the day, like comedy is also business. It is the entertainment business and you have to be smart about your moves and who the hell in their right mind is going to turn down 10 to 20 million a year or just, I mean, if you go on the price is right, you are instantly opening up your audience. Like now there's a huge mass of people who probably were never going to see you because they never tuned into like other types of comedic uh, forms. You know, I think that's something to think about as well. Why these comedians do it. Yeah. The only thing I want Drew Carey to do is get somebody to give him the rights or get somebody to give anybody the rights to release the Drew Carey show on a streamable service. Like that's if I die and that's the only thing I can ever get accomplished, <laughs> I'm fine with that. That show is so fucking good. It's amazing it hasn't yet. That's like very like thinking about it and thinking about like all the streaming networks we have and that's not a thing is really interesting. Well, like I, I wonder if like ABC, if they ever get a streamable service, because I think it's an ABC show. Yeah. If they'll put their Drew Carey show on there. Because like like the Peacock Network, you know, they're going to have friends. I, I don't know if they are going to have friends because that's on HBO. But yeah, uh, you know, they'll have The Office and I'm sure Parks and Rec. Like we'll just see like our favorite shows defect from Netflix or Hulu onto the Peacock network. Crisscrossing. So yeah. So like I'd gladly pay ABC $10 a month so I can watch the Drew Carey show once. Yeah. I mean, like I, it, I loved it so much. That's how they get you, man. I mean, I would, I usually hop. Thank God. I know enough people where I don't, I only pay for one streaming service. Like everything else is just through friends, but it's so nice. Cause there are definitely certain shows where I'm like, I have to watch it. Like I love last week tonight with John Oliver and HBO. Yeah. It's one of I have to watch it. Like, it's just a show I'm absolutely hooked to. Yeah, I have HBO basically for the John Oliver show and Bill Maher. And there's another one. Well, I have, I have Showtime for uh, Shameless. Mm. And then, yeah. But my parents are oh, real sports. Uh, my dad would ask me maybe, I mean, he's 72 years old. 
So he's not all the way there at times. But he would ask me every week, did you see real sports? I'm like, no, we went over this. I don't have the money to buy <laughs> HBO. Like, if you would like to give me the money, we can have a conversation. But he would do this all the time. And finally, I was like, I can't do it anymore. So I pointed up the dollars and I'm like, let's go just so I can have a conversation with my dad. It doesn't frustrate <laughs> me to no end. But but last week tonight is like a must watch. And oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I have to watch that. That's one of the only shows where I have to watch that Sunday night. Yeah, that's definitely a show I got hooked to. It's definitely different now with COVID and everything because there's no audience. But I mean, John Oliver is a beast he's just a great host and like the way he tackles topics and some of the skits they do are so fucking hilarious i definitely it was like when it first came out and i started getting into it i was like holy shit this is a really good show and so they're so booming. So it's probably the only like news show I trust in a weird way. I mean, besides like the Daily Show and stuff. And I like Colbert as well. Yeah, I think any alum from the Daily Show always has my, you know, I don't know. They've got my approval. Like I'm automatically I bought into what they're doing. Like Samantha B is really good. Yeah. Colbert. Uh, I mean, any, anybody Stewart, John Stewart's like, yeah, I like this guy. I'm good. Like, I would vote for John Stewart for anything. I'll take his advice. He, he could say, hey, man, check mix cereal or <laughs> check cereal is not good for you anymore. Uh, don't eat that. And I'm like, all right, John, I, I really like the corn checks, but well, you said it. I'll do it. <laughs> Damn it. So, like, <laughs> man, I hope he never does that. If he ever bans Cinnamon Toast Crunch, I don't know. I'll have to make a decision. Like, either I ban Cinnamon Toast Crunch or John Stewart. But <laughs> I ho- really, hopefully he never gets into that. I really want to pick up the fact that, like, when you're talking about your dad, like, your dad would ask, like, like you think you said real sports. So real sports implies there's fake sports. So like, that's the question I need to know. Like, why is it called real sports? Can it just be sports? Like by nature, my guess, real. <laughs> yeah, my guess is that the real is the story. Like the real story is beyond the game. And I mean, there's, there's one sport where it's like a, like they're camel races in the middle East. So like all of the, uh, I guess like, I, I don't know. Was, hopefully it doesn't come out across racist or ignorant, but they have a lot of princes there. So like, but they're like, they're yes, like yes. all the princes go out and like bet on things. I'm like, all right, but there's a huge, huge money. And it's like all these oil magnets. And, but the one story my dad was telling me about, it goes, yeah, you should watch the one about horse racing. And I was like, well, how's that going to end well? Because like, <laughs> like all it was is like, they're setting records for the amount of horses who get injured and have to be put down. I'm like, oh, thanks dad. Like this is, this is why <laughs> I'm paying every time. Yeah, I was like, this is why I'm paying fourteen ninety nine a month to watch horses die. So it doesn't didn't seem right, but that's what my dad's into, I guess. So yeah, that's <laughs> that's funny, man. Camel races, it's just crazy. Like humans are just so bored. We just come up with like ridiculous shit to keep us busy. Hence, how TikTok was created, right? Like <laughs> that's just how we got TikTok. Was someone was like, I like lip syncing, and I guess people would like that. And I mean, I hate on TikTok, but I also fall into TikTok holes all the time. There are definitely some TikTok videos. I'm like, okay, this is really creative and funny. So I guess I'm on board a little bit. Maybe yeah, I'm just I get, old. Yeah, well, and cynical. No, I feel like a grandpa. <laughs> uh, no, I get I get sent cat TikTok videos all the time because I got three cats, and, and my friend she she likes the TikToks. So and they're funny videos, but I can't for the life of me. Now, by the time this airs, maybe I'll have like two TikTok accounts, mm-hmm. but. I can't see myself a 37-year-old man signing up for a TikTok account and telling anybody about it. (laughs) (laughs) That's like the the greatest shame of my life. Yeah, I don't know which one's worse. Like telling people you have a TikTok account or people accidentally stumbling upon your secret TikTok account. Like, (laughs) I I have a secret TikTok account. I have a TikTok account. I think I posted, it was when quarantine first started. I was like, oh, I'm going to do these like TikTok videos where I'm going to do like a quarantine tip of the day. And I did like six. And then I was like, I hate this. And I stopped immediately. (laughs) So if you go to my TikTok account, it's just six quarantine tip of the days. And then I follow one person who will not be mentioned here because it's just, my heart is dedicated to this comedian. (laughs) And it's just, (laughs) I can tell you when we turn on. But yeah, we'll figure it out. Yeah, but dude, it is just the funniest thing in the world. I didn't even give you like a formal introduction, but uh, Michael Cologne from Rochester. Yes. So I'm going to do an intro before this. So hopefully nobody skipped over that. Otherwise, they'll be completely surprised. Just a random voice. But, uh, yeah. How long have you been doing stand up? 
Uh, six years, over six years. Okay. Yeah. What got you into it? Oh God, this is a fun story. You know, I was never one of those people who wanted to be a stand-up comedian. Like I've always been to art and like mainly acting. That's what I like really wanted to do. And I'm also a writer. Like that was kind of like the thing for me. I was told sometimes throughout my life, like you should try comedy, you know, you're funny and witty and fast. And I was like, eh. Like, the idea of being on stage like that scared the living shit out of me. Also, fun fact, I was super religious in my early 20s. So, like, I actually was in school to be a pastor before I became a comedian. No kidding. Like, yeah, it's a very bizarre story. So, basically, I was in school to be a pastor. I was in this internship at this church. And one day... Uh, we're hanging out in some like room and there's like a band on stage and they get off and a buddy of mine <clears throat> runs up and grabs a microphone because it was still on and just starts riffing a little bit and does some stupid shit and then he gets off and I was like, oh, I'll go up there and have some fun. So I get up there and I just start roasting everyone, like r- like just ripping into people because I love that. And the people I was with loved it and they're like, oh my God, like you need to do comedy, like try stand up. And I was like, no, a month goes by and they're still on my ass about it. So I'm like, fine, I'll fuck can try it so i went to my first i wrote some bits down i at that point i had no idea what a bit was i was just like i'm writing down shit i think it's such a weird time i like to think about it because like now i know how to write i know the right jokes for me but like back then i didn't even know the format or what to try so i did my first open mic uh at boulder coffee in rochester and i went on stage i had five minutes i was so nervous i did 10 I just kind no of kidding. Ran. Yeah, I did 10. So this is actually crazy. I got there two hours early because I was so goddamn scared. And I was so scared and nervous that when they called up for people to sign up, I just missed it. And so all of a sudden, I realized I missed the sign up. And I go up to the guy running it at the time. And I was like, look, dude, like I've been here for two hours. I totally fucked up. Like, is there any way I can get on the list? And he was like, okay. He's like, look, I saw you here. I totally get it. He's like, I can put you on stage, but you got to be first. And so I was like, oh my God. Like, not only am I going on stage for the first time, I have to be first up, which as comedians, I know now first is kind of rough sometimes. And so I go on stage and I end up doing 10 minutes. And quite honestly, it wasn't even bad. Like, it wasn't like I just ate shit. Like, it was enough for chuckle and something but it was like after i got off stage i'll never forget that like feeling in that moment it was just like something just clicked for me it was just like oh this is it like this is what i'm supposed to be doing and then uh, about a couple weeks later i quit the internship and i just started pursuing comedy full-time um like without yeah that's great now i just want to point out that you know you went from saying well i was going to school to be a pastor in that conversation you said fuck twice and goddamn once so <laughs> it was never gonna work I, out it was never gonna work out <laughs> no, no, I, I think you made the right call. I was also sleeping with one of the girls in the internship during that time. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm not religious, but I don't think that's how it works. I I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't think that's how it works either. So, yes, that is how I got into stand-up comedy. It's kind of a wild ride. How do you like the scene up there? I know, like, like I don't know, like Inside Baseball, it's kind of like a, a soap opera-ish every once in a while, but I think every scene is like that. Oh, the, but, the Rochester but, comedy scene? Yeah, but, but Rochester, to me, like, from an outsider, uh, it seems like there's always a stage for you to prepare. And you've got the Carlson, uh, which you're you're a regular host there, right? Yeah. So like, there's got to be plenty of opportunities up there to work. Uh, yeah. So you know, in the beginning when I first started comedy, yeah, there was a lot of open mics and a lot of opportunity. Um, as far as the Rochester like comedy drama or whatever, I don't know. I stay the way the fuck out of that stuff, dude. Good for you. I just, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm definitely like a voyeur. Like I like peeking through the windows. I'm like, oh man, that's a crazy common thread. <laughs> like, yeah. I was looking and like usually I just screenshot stuff and send it to friends and i'm like this is ridiculous right and uh but like yeah when i first got into comedy i started uh producing shows right away i think six months in i just i would be on shows and i just like i have always had this personality where i'm like this sucks i'm gonna do it better and so i started i produced my very first show over at skylark bar and it was half success because I didn't really realize what a host was supposed to do. Like, I didn't realize at the time a host of comedy, you go up, you do your intro, you get the crowd hot, you do however much time. And then after that, you're just a fucking little gopher bitch. You get on stage, you yeah. go, oh, give it up for uh, uh, this next person, a good friend of mine. And then you just go on. And that's all you do. But for me, yeah, I ended up like doing like a one man show where like every, I would have two comics go up and then I would do like a 10 minute bit like skit in the middle and i did that the whole show 
And like a lot of local comics are not happy with me because I just didn't realize like that wasn't a thing. I thought by doing that, I was making the show better. And like, I definitely think the skits were good. I mean, I got laughs, but like now looking back, I'm like, eh, that was like not the way to be a host, you know? Yeah, I host everything too. And I, and I produce a lot. And, and, uh, I, I've noticed that there's, and, you know, I'll push back too. But if I see something that is kind of non traditional, I know that my initial response is, don't do that. You know, it's like, it might be my intolerance to change and something different. It could work. And then I'll resent you for doing it yeah. because I'm jealous of the laughs you got with it. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I'm more of a traditional guy where it's like, like we said, like, like we're like trained seals up there. It's like, okay, like I have to be careful that when I introduce somebody and like, thank the, thank the previous comedian. And I have to make sure that I'm not saying the exact same words between everybody because it's so easy to go through the motions and you know it's but yeah do you like hosting i love hosting yeah okay because you know the thing is is like i you can ask any local comic in rochester especially andy coon i don't do normal shit usually when i host shows when i produce shows it's always weird it's annoying i love to torture the comics i love to just be like all right guys here's a show talk only about this (laughs) or like it's gonna be this or like some shows i would do a lot of shows before things went under i had a regular show at box car uh monthly and i ended up doing trivia questions throughout the show like where i would like ask trivia questions up themed and give out tickets and stuff but what i found is like that's such a good way to keep the audience engaged and keep them there because now they like are hoping they win a free beer or free whatever you know so like really at the end of the day what i've always trying to do is make the show as entertaining as possible and keep people in the seats because the reality is that if you do the kind of like treadmill or like factory like give it up for this guy give it up for this guy like it can kind of become monotonous and people can kind of just start checking out a little bit as opposed if you do things to kind of like spark them awake like hey like get involved you know i find getting people involved kind of keeps them more into the show if that makes sense no uh, and if you're doing like a trivia thing that people are definitely going to pay attention it's, it's the same thing kind of like like if you have a raffle at the end yeah it's like okay well now we have an incentive to not leave so early because hey i don't know if you do it like a, a trivia contest but it's like like oh no no i i really like the next topic might be baseball i'm a baseball fan i know i can show everybody that i know you know babe ruth is second all or third all time in home runs mm-hmm. he should have been second but barry bonds so yeah yeah, yeah. so but yeah i is that is that how you do it like is it a contest it's not a or... contest it's just individual questions so like i did uh the last show i did was for saint patrick's day oh no i'm sorry it was for february it was for valentine's day so i would i had comedians and i i asked them to kind of keep their material to relationships and like valentine's day stuff which you know is kind of annoying to them but also challenges people to write a little bit and then i would ask like questions like valentine's day questions like how many blah 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 but i'd also insert dumb questions like who is the bitch that broke my heart when I was 16? Mary? Was it Mary? Uh, Jessica? That horrible cunt Alice? Or like, and I was just so I love doing shit like that. Like just throwing in these like really dumb jokes. Like, and I like creating a story throughout the trivia, like little joke, like bits, like it's a bit. Like, it's like, you know, I'll keep bringing up that girl throughout the whole show. The trivia questions would be about the girl who broke my heart. <laughs> it's like an audio crossword puzzle. Yeah, it, it's fun stuff, man. And like, you know, another show I do in Rochester that is probably the most successful show I've ever done is I do a roast battle, but I have a little like dumb twist to it. Have you ever seen the show Hot Ones on YouTube? No, I don't think so. So the show is a genius premise. This guy interviews people and he asks them 10 questions. But every time they do a question, they have to eat a hot chicken wing. And the chicken wings get hotter as the questions go on. I've heard about this. So I did the same concept, but for a roast battle. So like the first round, the comedians have to eat a chicken wing before they roast each other. And it's pretty hot. But then as the rounds go up, they get hotter and hotter and hotter. So like these comedians are trying to roast people while they're literally on fire. So it is like probably one of the funniest shows I've ever seen because people are like trying to like make fun of people, but they're dying on the inside. They're hot. They want water. They want milk. And the last show I did at Three Heads Brewing, uh, we sold it out. It was a 250 person room, you know, so it just goes to show the put. But yet again, it's a dumb, a lot of comedians would call it hacky or whatever. And I understand that. But like at 
at the end of the day, my job as a producer and a host is to pack the room and make it fun. Like that is right. like the goal for me. And like as a comedian, I'm putting you in front of 250 people. Like that's, that's huge. I don't know of anybody else in the state. Now I produce all over the place and I don't know of anybody else who's been able to put 250 people in one place, you know, on a local level. Like, you know, I, I'm sure the people who bring in Kyle Kinane, they can do that. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, Louis C.K., whatever. He can get 250 without trying. Yeah. But, you know, to to have people come, 250 people come to like a, a local roast. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. So I, I don't I don't give a shit if it's hacky or not. Like, that's that's great because you are putting people in front of so many eyes and ears. So they should be thankful. No, it's, it's a fun show. I mean, to be fair. The Interloop blog is what really helped it. I don't know if you follow it. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, so that blog, uh, that was under the umbrella of the blog. So the following on the Interloop blog definitely helped that show be what it was. I want to talk about that, but I, I owe you an apology because when I was, and I don't know if I ever told you this or anybody, it got around, but like I was trying to like find all these venues and I was uh, trying to get somewhere around Rochester and wherever. And I reached out to Three Heads Brewing. Oh. And then maybe they didn't, I don't, think they responded at all but i think it might have been andy or somebody else mentioned that you had three heads brewing and i felt so horrible no no no. i know what it was i saw an advertisement for your roast Mm. and i was like oh shit i shouldn't have done that so i'm sure you wouldn't have given a shit but like yeah i I tried never to you know infringe yeah i mean Uh, that's a good rule of thumb but I also think there's more than enough room for comedy. I got lucky with Three Heads where like I knew the owners before they even opened up the brewery. And they sat down with me like two, probably two years before they opened up and were like, we want you to be the only person to put on comedy shows here. And so oh, I, that's great. I got lucky. Yeah, I'm, as far as the, I'm the only person who puts on comedy shows there. The rest are music. And um, that's a that's amazing. I got lucky, man. Yeah, it's one of my favorite rooms ever. And the thing is, like, we only do it twice a year, but we sell out 250 people. It's like one of my favorite. Like, I'm sad of COVID because the roast battle was actually supposed to be this month, like when we were planning it last year. Can you restructure the date? Like, can you have that? We're going to push it till November um, to see. But even then, I don't know, man. Like, I don't have a lot of faith right now that comedy is going to be coming back full force anytime soon. I think we're going to have to wait till next year before we start packing 250 seat rooms again i'm sure to that level yeah yeah uh like like the the rooms that i've got going now are at half so you know we can we can do 23 here and 24 there so uh you know unless i get a and i don't even know if i want to do it but unless i can get a venue who doesn't give a shit and isn't afraid of a fine which i don't know why you wouldn't be afraid of a fine at this point yeah it's like that that hurts a little bit yeah so but no i mean i'm just confident that People are worried about, oh, comedy is never coming back. That's bullshit. Like, like we're going to be fine. It's just got to be patient. Yeah. And, you know, as long as like, and you've got, you're keeping yourself busy. So like, you're like, like the inner lube is not going away. Um, so you've got that going to tide you over and, and to keep people interested and they know the name. So, you know, I, I just think people are panicking, rightfully so at, at times, but over dramatizing. I think they're little uh, bitches. Their place. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. All right. So, so it took me about four minutes to say that, right. and you said they're little bitches. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Now I know why you're a writer. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I just like it's funny. I love to like actually fuck with Andy the most. Like I'm constantly messaging him, like, dude, we're never coming back. Shit's terrible, bro. We're getting locked down again because I just know internally it bothers him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because he is, uh, so I just, I'm probably like a monster in that sense. Because like, for me, it's like, dude, like, just live your fucking life. Like, comedy's coming back. Don't worry, but you can't do it. Like, what are you going to do, man? You're just going to punch walls and cry over Facebook? Like, right. get over it. It's gone. Like, do other shit. Like, write. Like, you know, make skits. Play video games. Like, hang out with your family, you neglect. Like, do something. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, it just, I, I don't know. It bothers me. And like, I don't know. I, I definitely, I gotta keep my mouth shut because I just want to go in on it. Like, I hate a lot of the bitching about net comedy not being around. Well, eventually, it's they're gonna bitch about something else. So you know, whatever. But like it, with Andy, it was funny. Uh, we were we were doing this show at in Cortland, and I said, "Dude, like, how many legs are in your house? How many feet?" And he, I don't know if Andy's just not good at math, but it took him a while. I mean, he's got, I think he's got six cats, two dogs, three kids, and him and his wife or girlfriend. So it's like, I think we counted like 32 feet. And I'm like, dude, that's way too many. It's like a goddamn zoo. It's a horrible life, dude. It's a horrible yeah. life. I know. And he's sober now. Like, yeah. if I were in that position, I would need drugs. Yeah, all the time. 
And like, it's just, he tells me that stuff too. And I'm like, dude, no wonder why you want to go back to comedy. I want to go back to comedy too. I want to go anywhere. Like you have so, <laughs> he tells me. And then I talk to him, he's like, oh, we might get another cat. I'm like, no, no, don't do that. <laughs> Bad. Like you want to like spray him with a water bottle. Like, no. <laughs> Bad Andy. Like have boundaries. <laughs> I love him. I, I'm going to specifically tell him. I talk a lot of shit about him on this blog. I, blog. I told him like, I think I told him two days ago. I'm like, yeah, we're going to talk shit about you. And he's like, all right, I figured. I love so fucking like, Andy. He's my favorite person. So you do, you're doing the inner loop. Uh, when did that come about? 2016 is when I made it. Okay. Did you see like hard time? I don't know what the origins are with anything, but it, it's kind of like the onion and hard times. I don't know what came first. I, I know the onion. Onion is definitely came for. first. Yeah. yeah. That was the first like really big satire uh, site to blow up. Yeah. You know, it's funny, man. I wish I had some like great origin story, but literally it was like one day. Cause like I said, I write and I love writing and I'm always trying to challenge myself like creatively. Like I want to write this style. I want to write this style. I want to write this. So I was a really big fan of satire. I followed the onion, hard times, that kind of stuff. And then I thought to myself, I was just like, Rochester doesn't have one. I was like, it'd be pretty cool if we like made a, if I made a satire blog for Rochester. And so like literally one day I, I made a logo. Um, the logo we have now is actually not the same logo I created. We revamped it. Um, and then it was originally not called the interloop. It was called the plate. I forgot. It was just called the plate or something like that. Like, like garbage plate. Yeah. And then a comedian actually messaged me and was like, Hey, my improv group is named like the plate or something. So, you know, could you change it? And at first I was annoyed. I was like, Ugh. and then I was like, okay. So I kept like kind of bouncing ideas around. And I was like, Oh, the inner loop, you know? Cause like we have the inner loop, all that. It's like, it's kind of metaphorical. Cause the inner loop was like not finished. They were constantly working on it. Oh, okay. And so it just, yeah, I created in 2016. Um, and I just started making articles. And what's crazy to me is because we blew up, I think, beginning of 2019 is when we started blowing up. And it's like I see people commenting on it sometimes being like, oh, this just came out. This blog is great. And I'm like, I've been working on it since 2016. Like it's been around for so much longer than that, you know? It's like when a band breaks big. It's like, oh yeah, if you heard like Green Day is my favorite band. It's like, it's like, oh yeah, they came out with Dookie and that was the first album. Like, no, fuck you. Like, they came out with 1039 Smooth Out Slappy Hours like four years before that and Kerplunk and like they had two albums before. They you just they didn't make the radio. Yeah, and it's like it's like no, there was a whole lot of work that goes. It's it, same as being a comedian. It's like it's like oh, Mulaney, he just he started comedy in 2006. Like, no, he started comedy way before then. You just didn't, you know, he didn't there's, get that exposure. There's no such thing as overnight success. Yeah. You know, there's just, yeah, I mean, Louis, I mean, Louis C.K., maybe not the best example, but that dude was doing comedy in the 80s. You can find oh, yeah. him on the 80s. And when did he blow up? Like mid 2000s, early 2000s? Yeah, I I thought that I was way late on him because I remember my, I got a buddy named Lunchbox because I think we all do. And <laughs> we were, I was at his place in Virginia and he goes, you should listen to this comedian comedian uh, louis ck so it would have been 2007 maybe 2008 and by then i think i don't know if louis like the show had come out yet uh but probably around then mm-hmm. and yeah i i just i'd never heard any of him st- stuff and at that point you're right like it, he was on stage maybe 20 years 25 years had a special had the hbo special he had the hbo tv show at that point that like didn't yeah. really work out well so it's like these people are around and they have like a big follow up a decent following it's mainstream i think that's the best way to put it like as a comedian he was a success way before louis way before that i mean the goal the dream is just to make a living off this shit right yeah so if you can yeah. live your life and your income and the way you live is comedy then you made it in my mind you made it like maybe you're not mainstream maybe you're not like whatever chris rock or something but like your lifestyle is just doing comedy and that to me is the goal do you know of the name paul kozlowski Yes, I feel like I've seen him on Facebook. It sounds really familiar. Yeah, uh, he's a comedian in Cortland. I work with him a lot. And I could be completely wrong. I have to have him on this podcast just so I can either confirm that I'm right in telling the story or apologize to everybody for saying it. But he he, he came up with Louie and uh, Bobcat Goldthwait and oh Barry Crimmins, yes. all those guys. So so he was in Boston when Louie started. And Paul, I think, has a couple years on Louie. But he I think he told me the story where Louie was bitching about the audience or not getting booked. Something like we would bitch about now. Yeah. And I think Paul told him, he goes, why don't you just quit? And like they were all riding him because Louie, I think, was the younger guy in that whole group. And then, you know, in hindsight, you know, 30 years pass and Louie at, you know, they have these like all time comedian lists. 
And the highest I've ever seen him was like four. And it's like Paul Kozlowski told the fourth best comedian of all time to quit. So it's like, like, oh, like that's amazing. But yeah, that I mean, he just he came up through the 80s and fucking worked his ass off, you know, and he, you know, had a, a pretty good hand. In uh, destroying where he's going, yep. but you know, but he's—I don't think it could take away from you know his comedic talent. No, and genius. You know, it was so so smart, and uh, and those bits were it just kind of uh, wrapped hold of you. Oh, dude, they crushed me, man. They crushed me. Yeah, I think that's sad. You know, like even with Delia and like Louis, it's like you know to make it like I always try to put myself in their shoes and just wonder like, man, what is that feeling like waking up one day? And knowing your career is over. Yeah. Like, just, like, two weeks ago, Chris Dooley, a top comic, like, at least, like, mainstream, like, had del- a Netflix special just comes out. His podcast is booming. He was just on Joe Rogan. Like, all this stuff, just boom, boom, boom. And then all of a sudden, gone. Like, he's done. His career's over. Like, he's not, maybe he'll start doing, like, local clubs, like, throughout the scene and stuff when it kind of passes. But, like, as far as him ever being a mainstream person again, no. It's, it's yeah, he's going to he's gonna have to wait for, like, Celebrity Fit Club to come back. Yeah, and it's just, it's sad, man. It just goes to show you how, like, a f- actions, like, a couple bad moves. I mean, granted, his is a little bit more sinister. He's a fucking pedophile. And he's, yeah. like, a grooming people where... You know, but still, just fuck, man. Like, to lose all that overnight is brutal. So, did you have a journalistic background? No. Okay, okay. So, I did. So, I automatically think you're a fraud. <laughs> so, as you congratulations. As you-, yeah. <laughs> you, you made my list of people to kill. <laughs> so, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no journalistic, so- yeah. So how do you format everything? Like, are you the editor of this blog? No. So shout out to Shane Allen. Uh, I don't know if you know Shane from uh, Rochester. He is a host on the 94.1 The Zone radio show. So uh, he runs the blog. We run the blog together. So basically how that happened is Shane reached out to me probably only six months after I started the blog. And he was like really into it and wanted to help me. And then somehow over the years, it just became like this where I was like, I realized the blog was just becoming much bigger than I could ever handle alone. And so he basically, we just became business partners. So like Shane and I run the blog now together, you know, if you want to go back to like the nitty gritty of who like created it, I did, you know, like, sure, I created it. But like, realistically, Shane and I have created it together because, you know, he he did the logo design and he does a lot of the article. He does the graphic designs for all the articles, you know. Um, So like we have really good like it's fun. It's we have like our roles that we kind of have fallen into. And I would say Shane's definitely like. He's a creator, the content creator, just like me. He write, he does articles, he does memes. Um, but he's definitely better on the business end. He's really good about like making sure we get paid, like advertising. Uh, he's really good with that stuff, like just stuff like that is kind because of, that's what he went to school for. So he knows all of that stuff. Where I'm more just like creative, like I make memes and articles and event planning. I'm definitely the event planner. Like I make all the events we do and stuff. So we just kind of found this nice little pattern like that we fell into i guess if that's the way wave or whatever and so yeah we run the blog together and he's a good dude and we've had our moments you know i think any trying to run anything with anyone especially when it took off i mean you gotta remember before 2019 we were pumped when we got 50 likes on an article oh yeah you know and then all of a sudden we start making memes and we fucking skyrocket within like we went from uh what was it dude we went from eight a thousand people following in the beginning of 2019 at the end of the year we were at 18,000 no fucking way that's insane like that's an insane amount of growth we won like rochester's best of awards best online blog best website so we just like like crazy and like now our instagram and our facebook have 20,000 followers so did you envision like is this a business now like i mean like are you making decent money at it no oh okay okay. i wish yeah i think and that's what sucks i think a lot of people think that like a lot of people comment on the blog and whatever i think because of the success of it they just assume that's what i do like that's my life and that's how i make money but i'll tell you man like especially with satire how to advertise is very weird like we do have businesses who advertise with us i will not disclose their names but because like we have to advertise in a different kind of way you know so it's been a kind of a challenge in that sense to figure out how we go we try doing merchandise and you know sometimes the merchandise sells well sometimes it doesn't so it's kind of just been like this roller coaster of like we both this is all new territory for both of us so we're trying to figure out how can we make consistent income off of it and it's easier said than done that's for sure 
yeah, you know, I'll have a joke that works really well or or uh, this podcast is going pretty well. But and, and some people say, well, do you have any merch? And I'm like, yeah, I'd love to have merch. But my biggest fear is that I'm going to spend a grand on T-shirts or magnets or something like that. And I'm just going to move them to apartment to apartment because I'll eat all of them. Yeah. Like it's like nobody's going to want them. And I'm just afraid to commit any sort of money and capital to something nobody's ever going to want. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, it's tough, man. I definitely, we, we are sitting on t-shirts. We made t-shirts. Like I think I've, I don't remember how much we spent, but we're just sitting on them and that really sucks. You know, we made like uh, stickers and pins and those, that those things kind of sell really well because they're so cheap and people like it. But, you know, we thought we'd be able to sell more T-shirts with, like, funny designs or interesting, but no one, you know? So it's very much like we're still trying to, like, I think we got lucky where we have the following now. Now how do we capitalize on it? And yeah. that's, like, what the last year has been for me. And, like, it's something I was even working on today of, like, man, I really, you know, you feel like you're sitting on a gold mine, which I do think we are. You know, we have, like, 20, like, for a Rochester-based blog, we have an insane following. You know, like, especially looking at local businesses who are very popular and realize we're crushing them in numbers, like, is like, holy shit, like, we have something here. But, like, what the fuck do we do with it? Is there any plan to expand, or is this your, your market? Like, th- this is how you, you're so successful. So we've talked about it, because I definitely think that's the move, you know? Like, moving out to, like, Syracuse, Buffalo, you know, like, all those places. But reality is, is, like, until we can kind of make the inner loop a working machine in Rochester, where we're, like, making money and we're consistent... I don't think that like that's stretching too much, you know, that's going to stretch us too thin. Also, our dream, you know, would be to be bought out by like one of those other satire sites, you know, whether it's hard times or reductress or whatever that happens all the time where they buy smaller blogs out. And so honestly, I think that's kind of what we want too. because, you know, the reality is, is I'm not going to be in Rochester forever. I do have plans to move to LA eventually, inevitably. So it's like, you know, if I move out there, I have to depart from the blog. That would be too much. Right. So it's, it's, it can be complicated. That's for sure. So are you pursuing like a career in stand up or, you know, writing or do you have that in mind or or is it whatever pays? I think it's all of it, man. I mean, so like like I said, my heart in the beginning of my, I guess, career or whatever, when I was younger, it was acting. I always wanted to be an actor like that was my I love film. I'm a huge film buff. Like it's just something my heart's always been in. I love writing. I write short stories. I've written screenplays. You know, like that's just kind of where my mind's at, which is why I love comedy so much, because you get to write and then you get to see a response like instantly. That's why I love it. You know, as opposed to other forms of writing where you write for fucking years and then you don't. God only knows when people are going to see it, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, my goal is, uh, you know, I'm thinking uh, I've been my girlfriend and I have talked about it. Like, you know, I'm thinking probably 2022 because at this point the world's on fire. And I, there's no point to move to LA right now. You know, I don't think we're going to be back to normal, normal until like 2022. I think next year is kind of like, think of like a demolition, like, and then it's, and then the cleanup. So like 2020 is a demolition and then 2021 is going to be the cleanup. And then I think 2022 is when we're going to have normalcy again. Yeah. I, I just had RJ McCarthy on this and, and he said that, you know, his plan was to move to New York by, I believe it was May, May or June. Yeah. And obviously that didn't happen. Yeah. Cause like, you know, he's got no money. He's got, you know, he has to pretty much rebuild. And also, you know, at that time, he's going to be off stage for four or five months before he gets going again. So I think a lot of us are in that holding pattern where, okay, well, the things we planned are not going to happen right when we plan them. So, but the good thing is we're all doing that. Yeah. Like it's not like one person's ahead of anybody else. Like we're all kind of stuck. Yeah. And so, you know, I think my plan initially was like, oh, I'm going to be in LA by like middle of 2021. And now I'm like, nope, like easily 2022 is when I can look forward to going there. Do you guys have any kids? No, no. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So you can, so you legitimately could pick up and move when you wanted. Yeah. My girlfriend is a, a psych nurse. She's a psychiatric nurse practitioner. So she can like go wherever she wants. You know, she is not anchored here. 
so yeah, no, that's uh, kind of the goal is to move like out there middle 2022. And then, yeah, I would just be trying to pursue comedy, acting, writing full time. I honestly think I'd have the best luck writing. I think I'd be able to get some like job on some sort of like TV production or something being like a writer or whatever somewhere. I think that would be like a lot of comedians start that way. They get their foot in the door being a writer for some sitcom or bullshit. So Donald Glover wrote for 30 Rock. John Mulaney was a writer for a long time. You know, I think that's where I think writing is like a huge uh, advantage for people to be writers. I think Glover was writing for Community. Or no, I'm sorry. He was writing for 30 Rock while still at in school. Yeah. I think like, he was going to NYU. Like a, yeah. And I, was he 21 or 22? Yeah. Uh, I mean, and, and 30 Rock was not a small show. So like like and I remember I think it was I think it was Tina Fey was saying that they were because uh, I was reading like the IMDb of Glover. Whenever I watch a show like Community, I'm like, okay, I got to learn all the backstory for every every uh, actor. But she was so impressed with how he was able to write at that level while still in school. Yeah. Like, usually it takes some, you know, a few years of being beaten up on the road or something like that to, to develop that stuff. But he had it right away. Yeah, some people just have that gift, man, where the, the gift of gab. He also did uh, that comedy uh, series, though. Uh, I forget what it's called. Like, have you ever seen that video, Bro Rape? No, I don't think oh, so. Oh, dude, I'll send you. He did a bunch of comedy skits with this group called, like, Derek Comedy or something. And they're so funny. Like, so he was got his chops, like, acting and stuff and doing comedy, I think, before Community or before uh, 30 Rock or maybe during. But they're so funny, dude. But yeah, I think, you know, a lot of people, I know comedians, uh, traditional comedians really hate on people like that who, like, get specials and stuff and they haven't grinded in the clubs or whatever. Uh, like, I know Bo Burnham gets a lot of shit because he was a YouTuber. But personally, I love Bo Burnham. He's, like, one of my favorite comics, if you can even call him that. Yeah, so I like him, but I I don't think I got him. Yeah. Like, uh, like I and I, I think that it might be the age difference. Yeah. Like, he, and I like traditional a whole lot more, and he Ooh. is anything but traditional. Yeah. So, like, like, I liked him a lot in the episode of Parks and Rec mm. he did. And I respect what Bo Burnham did to get it there. I just don't think that, you know, I'm of the age that yeah, I'm not his target demo. So, yeah. I mean, was he one of the guys who, who got you interested or kept your focus on comedy? No, I think I discovered Bo. I mean, yet again, I never wanted to do comedy. So, like, it wasn't yeah, like, good. you know what I mean? Like, I think now if I had to say inspirations, like, I love Eric Andre. I love Hannibal Burris, Bill Burr. Uh, you know, this one's kind of controversial, I guess, but I love Sebastian Maniscalco um, a lot. Why is that controversial? Very, a lot of comedians don't, for that I've talked to, don't like him because he's very animated. He's very physical. So I think they kind of think, because, you know, you have those old school comedians where you stand still, you tell your fucking joke, and the joke is, how, like, the actual joke is what makes people laugh, not being physical. But, like, who made that rule? And go fuck right. yourself. <laughs> like, you know, Robin Williams, one of the greatest comedians of all time, is very physical on stage. Like, he's a very, like, physical comedy is comedy. I've never understood that. Like, I think I'm, I'm all about traditional, but at the same time, I think it really puts you in a box creatively. And I think that's why I love Bo Burnham, because if you watch his shows, like, by no means are they traditional comedy shows, but, like, they, they're shows. It's a one-man show. What, it's not him just standing on a microphone, but it is a one. It's very creative. Like, he is a very, very creative. Well, I think there's a little bit of Andy Kaufman and Bo Burnham, where uh -huh. it's like, like, he's he's thinking big picture, and he's also thinking, how would I, how do I entertain myself? Uh -huh. Because... I also want to be a fan of this show. So it's like, like he might say something where only he thinks it's funny, but it's fine. Like, yeah. cause it makes him happy. Like that's what Andy Kaufman was like, as long as he knew the joke was going to be on the audience, like he wanted to see the reaction. That's where he got his enjoyment. Yeah. I think that's fine. Different styles, man, you know, for everyone. But uh, yeah, I'm a huge fan of him. I think he's great. Uh, I love his, have you seen his Netflix specials? I've seen two of them. I can't remember which ones, but I know I saw two. There's only I liked, two. Okay. So I, I think I liked the first one he did a lot more than the second one. Mm. I just don't, I remember being a whole lot more easily distracted during the second one than I was the first one. It might. So I think I know what you're talking about. The one he made, that's the last one he made. It's called Make Happy. 
That's yeah. the one where it ends with him doing the whole like Chipotle bit and it's the lights and the music. Is that the one you liked or they didn't like? It's the one I didn't like. See, it's funny. I love that one. I think the first one, in my opinion, was too distracting. I thought that was too all over the place. Like it was just different skits happening too, too closely where I thought the second one was more well thought out and kind of like, and I love that ending. I think that ending is amazing. Like the and I could and be music. wrong. Like I, I've only watched one. I, I watched them both one time. So I could, I could have watched it in a different order. So, yeah. but I just, you know, he was not one of those guys where I'm like, oh, I got to watch that again. Yeah, no, so, I mean, like, like if he, if he produces a third one and that hits Netflix, I'll watch it, but I would have like no expectation than liking. It. Yeah, no, I get it. I mean, agree to disagree. You know, everyone's got their opinion. Like I, you're a dying old man who doesn't understand art. So, <laughs> <laughs> so like, you know, whatever, no one's going to remember your thoughts. <laughs> that's a, that's really cruel because my therapy appointment isn't for another five days. <laughs> So this I'm going to have to sit on that for a week. I'm just giving you good information, honestly. You can reflect on it. <laughs> uh, well, now that you make me depressed, I want to ask you, what's the worst set you've ever had? Like what your worst show uh, could be one you produced. You know, preferably one where uh, nobody liked you. Yes, I uh, that one sticks in my mind forever. I have that one immediately. So it was my first year of comedy. And the comedy club in Rochester at the time was called the Comedy Club original uh, out in Webster. <laughs> and so there was a deal that went on with a local open mic here that if you won the competition at the open mic, you would get a guest spot at the comedy club. So I was probably only eight months in the comedy and I won the competition. I got like the best comedian for the night or whatever. And so I got a guest spot at the comedy club. First guest spot ever, like ever, ever. Um, first comedy club gig ever. And so it, I was opening for or doing a spot for uh, this dude from Breaking Bad. Uh, you ever watch Breaking Bad? Yeah. It was, who was it, though? Go like me? Jesse Plemons? No, it was Gomi. Hank's partner, the Mexican guy. Gomez. Oh no, I didn't. I didn't know he was a comedian. He he wasn't. He was just a guy oh. capitalizing on his Breaking Bad fame, which you can't blame him, right? Like whatever, you got to make money. So I go there. I go to the club with my girlfriend, my new girlfriend at the time. It was my ex girlfriend, but she was new in my life. And at that time, I was really into like Eddie Murphy style. Like I wore white pants and like the black jacket. I don't know why. I still kind of do this day sometimes. I do love that stuff. Comedian ridiculous outfits. But I went there. I met the comedy club owner, uh, Mark uh, Epolito, and he looked at me. He's like, are you Michael Clone? I'm like, yep. Uh, he's like, you doing the guest spot? I was like, yep. He's like, okay, cool. Uh, five minutes, don't suck. And then he just walks away. And uh, I was like, okay, like that's not highly intimidating, but whatever, I got to do my time. So I made a cardinal sin, a comedian sin. I tried to do new material. I thought of new material and I thought, hmm, this night where I have to impress the owner of the club and a full room seems like the best spot to do it. And so, dude, it was so bad. I went on the host at his time. Good guy. I go on stage. And mind you, this is the first time I've ever on a comedy club stage. The lights are so blinding. You can't see anyone, which is pretty typical. But I wasn't used to it. So, like, I was used to open mics where it's just you can see everyone. So that immediately threw me off. The crowd was like an older blue-collar 50s crowd. So I go in with these new jokes, don't land nothing and i keep trying to like climb up and climb up and it was just silent for five minutes straight and i'll never forget how much i was sweating i'll never forget like i, I became like a robot where i just was like i was like traumatized it's like you know watching your dad beat your mom you just have to numb out so you, you have to dissociate so you don't have to like be there anymore you're like that's really traumatic and i have to deal with that later like i can't deal with it now and so, yeah, dude, it was like, it was five minutes of hell. It felt like an eternity. It truly, like, as soon as I saw that light, I just started wrapping shit up. I was just like, okay, like, that's my time. It probably was like the, the best light you've ever seen. Dude, might as well have been dying going to heaven. It was horrible. So, like, I get off, dude, I get off stage and I see the owner of the club, Mark, and he doesn't even look at me. He doesn't look at me. He doesn't say anything to me. I go to my girlfriend. I grab her hand and I just got the fuck out of there. And that was to this okay. day one of the most embarrassing moments in my life. How long did you date her after that? Four years. <laughs> oh, no shit. All right. So at least you didn't give up on you right away. No. I think. She's like, like, why, don't, why don't you leave and I'll see how the feature does? And maybe I'll have a new boyfriend. 
I think as a comedian, I think we forget like people have a lot of respect for us just for getting on that stage. And so, but still, like, I, I don't think Mark was a fan of me for a long time after that. Um, but we're best buds now because now I'm a host at the club, a regular host. And uh, he loves yeah, so, so how did you get that? I mean, was it easy to, I mean, you just had to wait for him to kind of forget about that night and see you progress? Yeah, I think it was a mixture of waiting. I think it was a mixture of getting good. I think I was given a stage I wasn't ready for and I was humbled. So, yeah, I mean, dude, I was funny because like back in 2018, it was like 2000, no, 2019 around there. I kind of came to this point in my career where I just assumed I wasn't a comedy club comedian. I was like, that's just not, I'm going to be an alt comic, whatever. That's not my scene. Cause I, I did guest spots still at the comedy club, comedy at the Carlson. And I just never did well. I just struggled. Like it, it intimidated to me, to me too much. As soon as I got on the stage, I would like lose all of my focus and I gave up for a while. And then it wasn't until a good friend of mine really encouraged me to go back. He was like, you got to try, you know, like how, you got to keep trying, like you'll get in eventually. So I did a, a guest spot for, Moses Storm in January, and I did okay. It wasn't great. And then I did another guest spot for a comic. I forget who he was, honestly. I forget his name, but I did really well. And then after that, they were like, do you want to host for uh, Joe DeRosa? I don't know if you've heard of Joe DeRosa. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, he was a really cool dude. So I got to host for him in August of last year, and it was great. It was a great weekend. I did really well. They liked me. I don't think I killed or anything. And so they're like, okay, we'll give you another gig in November. So then I get a gig for Bobby Slayton, who's like known to be an old, ruthless comic. Like the people are like, most people say he's really difficult to work with. So I was really scared. I was like, shit, this guy's older. Dude, the guy's been doing comedy like 50 years. You know, like insanity. They call him the pit bull of comedy because he's just like vicious and not censored at all. And then I did that show. And like, funny enough, Bobby and I got along amazingly. Like we were like best buds by the end of the weekend. It was a lot of fun, man. And those shows were damn near almost sold out. And I, I crushed that weekend. I, I mean, I just, I think I finally hit a point where I just got comfortable on stage. You know, I think that's all comedy is about is just like you take, it takes years for you to allow yourself to be you on stage. You know, yeah, it's like really a struggle. And so I think I finally broke that ceiling of like, okay, I can be me on stage. And that weekend was amazing. And then they really liked me after that. And they asked me to host for Trevor Wallace in January of this year and sold out weekend five shows completely sold out um killed it i absolutely killed it and i spit on trevor wallace too that's the story you actually spit on him like on purpose no the first show dude the first show for trevor wallace i was you know who trevor wallace is right yeah he's a he's another youtube guy or vine or something like that yeah um so first show i was super nervous first time performing in front of a sold out crowd girlfriend is with me for this show actually i have a thing where i like to bring my girlfriend to a show where i do horrible at so i get there i'm super nervous i'm in the green room hanging out with trevor wallace and the feature todd youngman and trevor's like sitting across from me like on the couch like just doing the stuff i'm standing near the door waiting to go on stage i don't know what happened but i took a sip of my gin and tonic and it was just you ever just something goes down the wrong tube you know it goes down the wrong tube and you have that cough reflex dude i take a swig of the gin and tonic and i get a cough and it just sprays all over trevor wallace like i mean just a violent like spray like showered him and i just stood there mortified like just i must have turned white because he like looked up and he just goes did you just fucking spit on me and i was just like i am so sorry and it was just a nightmare he was not happy i immediately thought i was gonna get thrown off the show for the weekend so i'd go on stage i do my time and it wasn't the, the set went fine i opened up great it was good i bring up todd, so todd youngman had asked me to bring him up as trevor wallace's dad because he's much older He's like, can yeah. you like give it up for Trevor Wallace? So I did that. I get to the green room. Trevor Wallace is staring directly at me and goes, don't say that. I was like, what? He goes, don't say Trevor Wallace's dad. Come to find out after I looked through his IMDb and bullshit, his dad left them at a very young age. So he clearly oh, no had shit. sensitive. So dude, I am striking out with this guy. And so I go to the back of the room while Todd Youngman's on stage and hang out with my girlfriend. So, and you know, she's like, are you sure you're good on time? And I'm like, yeah, like I usually am good at like, I watch my clock, see how much time they have left. I see him light him. I'm sitting in the back room with my girlfriend all the way in the back of the club. And I hear 
Okay, guys, that's my time. Give it up for your host. And I'm in the back of the club. I need to be walking out when he says that. So I sprint, dude. I sprint past the owner. I sprint to in the kitchen. I sprint past Trevor. I run the stage like heaving. And then I, you know, I'm like, oh my God. And I bring up Trevor and I go to the back room and I'm having a full blown panic attack at this point. I'm like, I'm never getting booked here again. Like I just blew my opportunity. And so I go in the bathroom and I'm like heaving, like just kind of like freaking out. And all of a sudden I just hear a knock on the door and it's uh, the owner of Club Mark. And he goes, hey, Mike, I know you're in there. Come out. And so I'm like, okay. And I go out there and he's like, what just happened? And I told him like, look, I wasn't doing the time, blah, blah. And he's like, okay, it's fine. He's like, you know, it's so calm down. He's like, look, that shit can't happen again. No, no worries. Whatever. He leaves. I go back in the bathroom, still freaking out. Five minutes later, another knock on the door. He's like, hey, Mike, it's Mark. Come out. And so I come out and Mark looks at me and he goes, did you spit in Trevor Wallace's face? And I just, and I just go, please don't fire me. I was like, I, I was like, I'll do a great job this weekend. Please, please don't get rid of me. And Mark just starts dying laughing, like just dying laughing, dude. And so it, he was really cool that everyone, it was just like, he was, I think that what had happened, was just so ridiculous to him that he couldn't like even fathom it. And so now it's a running joke at the club that, I spit on Trevor Wallace. I was gonna say, like, do you make sure to spit on every feature <laughs> and, and every every headliner? Gotta have a story, man. How so? You know, we ended up him and I ended up getting along towards the end of the the weekend. So that was nice. But I felt bad. So was that the first of five shows? First one. Oh my god. First one. Yeah. What what an introduction. Oh, uh, dude, it was rough. But I, I mean, the five shows were great, man. I will tell you this, dude. As a comedian, packed rooms are so easy. And I say that because it's a numbers game, man. If you have 250 people in a room and 100 people are laughing, that's still 100 people laughing, you know? So it's like that room fits 350. And so I performed in front of 350 people for five shows, you know? And so it was one of the best weekends of my life besides that start. (laughs) Right. Aside from that one hour. So, yeah. Oh, God. So, yeah. But uh, after that, the comedy club was just like, you're a regular host now. You know, you're on a regular rotation. So, you know, a year ago, I went from I'm never going to be at a club to I'm host. I'm a regular host at a club now. That's awesome. Like I, I said this with a few people, but one of the things I, I like most about the Carlson and I've only done the contest there a couple of times mm-hmm. and, and lost both times because that's how I do things. But one of the things I like about that place is that they seem to really focus on giving the local comedians shots mm-hmm. and like multi like there are people I haven't seen before. And, you know, not that I'm the 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 most knowledgeable of producers around here, but like it seems like they get everybody they think is is worthy of a shot on stage and on a consistent basis. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're a good club, man. They were really nice to me. They gave me multiple chances. They've been great to me. You know, I'm hosting for Pablo Francisco only like three, four weeks after the club opened. So that's really nice. You know, they're only, I would say their only downfall is just they keep booking Andy and that's upsetting. I, but like eventually if they keep doing that, the club's just going to close. Yeah. Andy so, is, you know, a very garbage comedian. I don't know if he knows that. <laughs> it's just very, I don't want to hear about your past drug life, bro. No one cares anymore. Yeah. Like, Talk about being your, a dad. <laughs> right, right. That's all I want. I, I think, uh, well, that's that's one thing. Like, I, I know, you know, we joke about Andy and he is garbage, but, you know, he does know that. But I, in Binghamton, like, we, we have solid comedians, but, like, people are so in and out. Like, they're not very present. What I think, here's just an outsider's perspective. The competition in Rochester has to be uh, a motivator for you guys. Yeah. I mean, like, because you got, you got Dario Joseph, you got Andy Kuhn, you got Sarah Shipley, you've got, you know, all these people who are, you know, they're they're gunning for spots at the Carlson. They're you know, all the shows, but it's like, do you guys push each other? I would say the very nature of it, yeah, we push each other. Also, but you know, it's like all those people were very. We have very different styles from each other. You know, like I think that's the other thing too, and I think the club recognizes that, and I think they cater to that. Like they want Sarah Shipley to open up for this type of comedian because of her personality. They want me to open up for this type, so they they're very smart about who they get to. Usually, they want someone to open up for a comedian who's the opposite style of the comedian, so to give it some diversity, because you don't want two people having the same type of tone, so to speak. You right. know, so yeah, no, I mean, I love Dario, I love Sarah uh, and Andy as much as I shit on them. Andy's like a really good friend of mine 
And, you know, I think, I think they're really good about giving people opportunities. I think the best advice I'll give to anyone is just don't stop. You know, like I said, a year ago, I was like, I'm never going to be a comic club. Fast forward a year later, I'm a regular host at a comic comedy club, you know, so that just goes to show you that you just never know what's going to happen if you just keep pushing, you know, like I think Andy is one of the hardest working comics I know, you know, and I definitely envy that about him. Yeah, his his jokes are always pretty sharp. Yeah, he's and. very hard. And I mean, he does open mics. He does the online mics, um, which, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for him. I think, honestly, I can be lazy sometimes when it comes to that. But to be fair, I'm doing other outlets. So it's not like I'm just sitting on my ass. I've got the blog. I've got lots of other things I'm doing, you know, and I don't have a house with eight cats, three dogs, like 10 children. <laughs> I don't have some like fucking Brady Bunch house either. So I'm, my motivation isn't to escape reality at all costs, you know. And you've still got your hair. He's still got my hair for now. Yeah, it's like like one more thing Andy doesn't have. (laughs) But he's got sobriety. (laughs) So he's really ahead of us. Yeah, I don't know about that one. (laughs) I'm not discounting that he's not doing drugs, but I don't know if that's a a step up. (laughs) Every once in a while, I think about like, oh, don't drink. Like, I don't drink a whole lot, but every once in a while, I'm like, oh, let me see. If I stop drinking everything, uh, like every, every type of booze, would I progress in comedy i don't know i mean if you look at andy no (laughs) (laughs) if that's the future it's fucking dark (laughs) no i think i think the trick is you know i don't i like to tell comics like don't fall into the trap of saying drinking is what makes you a better comic yeah that's bullshit you're a good comic because you're a good comic you know like don't take that away from yourself like because i used to think that like oh if i drink like that makes me funnier on stage it's like no i'm funny because i'm funny not because i'm drinking you know like i'm gonna be funny whether i have a couple drinks in me i'm gonna be funny whether i'm sober you know um i'm not a heavy drinker i drink but like you know i just went three months without drinking not because i was trying to prove anything (laughs) but because i just don't drink a lot you know my girlfriend doesn't drink a lot so it kind of helps with that yeah i i've got beer in my house but i never drink in the house so like I think the just land I went from like only when I'm driving <laughs> only <laughs> it's how I get so good at it uh, <laughs> but no I I just I've got the booze in the house but like uh, the last show I did was March 14th and I don't think I had a beer until like June 15th or something like that because somebody brought booze over and a pizza and I'm like wow it would be rude of me if I didn't partake yeah but I have no I have no urge to do it and I'm like hey if anything I can like kind of be a little healthier and save some money yeah no I mean even drinking like I was when I lived by myself, I would have beer in the fridge and it would just be there forever yeah. because I just, you know, I'm not, I'm a social drinker. I like going out and having a beer with people, but like, I'm not really a stay at home and drink alone kind of person. And I, I definitely have a limit. Like if I drink more than like two, three days in a row, I'll not drink for like a couple weeks after that. Cause I just like, I don't like how I feel a lot afterwards. Like I'm a lightweight. So like beer can really knock me on my ass pretty quickly. Yeah. And you know, I've got eight ears on you, but the older you get, the more it hurts you. Yeah. So, oh yeah. The last hangover I had was my girlfriend and I went to a silent disco back in February and we got hammered and we made the foolish mistake of going home with no water, no food and woke up just a complete disaster. And it's just debilitating. At that point, it's just debilitating. Like, you can't do anything for a whole day. Like, I feel you at that point. I have the body of, like, a 90-year-old. Like, I can't handle <laughs> shit, dude. Well, that makes me happy to hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I'll, I, I have eternal youth because I look like I'm 18, but I have the body of falling. I'm like, a, I, it's a joke I say where I say I'm a shitty Benjamin Button. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, I appreciate you doing this. Uh, we're about out of time, but is there anything you want to plug? The social media, Interloop? Uh, yeah, I mean, follow the Interloop blog on Facebook or uh, Instagram. Uh, we do have a Twitter, but we don't have the password to it, so we cannot access it. But we post on it, apparently. So that's the thing. You can follow us on Twitter, but we cannot control our Twitter account. It is out of our hands. Um, the only thing I'd plug is uh, there is I'm going to be hosting a show at the Comedy at the Carlson, Pablo Francisco. And it is July 9th through July 11th. And get your tickets at carlsoncomedy.com. Wow. This is coming out after that, so... Oh, uh, too late. To, all right, so yeah. fuck you for not going. Um, <laughs> also, never go to anything that Andy Kuhn is on. <laughs> that might be the most honest plug I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> it's just going to ruin your shows, Mike, because you book. Yeah, right it, it, oh, that's, that's, well, no, I'm going to stop booking him. He's going to stop booking him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We're going to, all the producers are going to get together and just ban Andy Kuhn. I think that's the best way to do it. He's really got to struggle for a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, dude, I, again, I appreciate it. And uh, 
Yeah, this is a lot of fun, and I can't wait to work with you. Yeah, likewise, man. I'm looking forward to it as well. All right, man. I'll talk to you in a bit. Adios. Peeling back my sunburnt skin. I'll wait outside your bedroom. I hope they let me in.